Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 186 of the Fun with Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of both the Singapore and Japanese Grand Prix from both Marina Bay, Singapore, and Suzuka, Japan. I am back, and I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and I appreciate you giving us a week off. Uh, we were both out of town in various places last weekend, and I was actually sick as well, so... Uh, I, you know, we're doing a much better show than we would have done last week. And uh, now, having, after we talk about Japan, we will actually be caught up uh, for the first time in several weeks now on the podcast. So, Sort of, yeah. It's good to be I, back in person. And um, so uh, Singapore now was quite a while ago. That was a, a week ago. Um, and Ancient that, ancient history. Kind of. But, uh, you know, it was, it was sort of like this crazy one-off, right? Because uh, we, along with, like, everyone else, basically had, you know, this, oh, of course, Hamilton, Hamilton, it's either going to be really strong. And that really wasn't what happened. It was, uh, you know, the Mercedes apparently were just having a really hard time getting the heat in the tires and maintaining uh, rear grip and just weren't that fast around Singapore. Yeah, it was weird to see that all of a sudden it wasn't that... Ferrari was close to Mercedes or that Williams or Red Bull had moved up. It was that for uh, Mercedes was a distant third to the reigning uh, world beating Ferrari and the very ever strong Red Bulls. And that was not what anyone was expecting. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, you have Nico and Lewis saying, we don't know what to do. Uh, you know, Lewis, Lewis is eking out ahead of Nico, but yeah. And it, so it was just this weird anomaly where all of a sudden Ferrari has a comfortable win. I mean, it was uh, classic, if you want to call it Vettel, having a pole time well clear of anyone else. I believe it was almost six tenths of a second, which these days is more of a Lewis Hamilton thing. So yeah, it was this bizarre world for a week. Yeah, so qualifying was Vettel, Ricardo, Raikkonen of all uh, of all places of all people, um, followed by Kvyat, then Lewis in fifth, and then Nico in sixth, and then yeah, Botas, Verstappen, and, and and so on. But it was yeah, uh, crazy times. I mean, you know, you wouldn't expect uh, you know, I guess it was Vettel at the top. If if it's not going to be Mercedes, okay, you know, Vettel. But then Ricardo to do really well and out qualify Kimi Raikkonen and. Uh, on up from there, and then the Williams weren't strong either, so uh, that was you know interesting shakeup for the you know for the one race, and that was the whole question, right? Is it just this one race, or is Mercedes really in trouble? You know, after looking so so strong, is this going to be their thing? And of course, now with the benefit of you know the time travel that is uh, recording a week late for Singapore, uh, we know from Japan that Mercedes was back to really really strong form. So um, it did seem like just the characteristics of Singapore, uh, the temperatures, the tires, the surface. Um, and we actually had uh, an email I'll mention here uh, from Paul Peard talking about uh, Gremlin, something that the uh, Sky TV commentary team was talking about. Um, they said, you know, he said, at the time it seemed nonsense, but as the race and the retirements increased, it became less silly. Uh, they talked about the possible effects of the metro system running under the tracks on the electronics of the cars. <laughs> you said metro system for a moment. I was thinking of the metric system. I was like, I thought they all used the metric system. Yeah, that's metric system uh, Gremlins there. No, but uh, they, they mentioned a problem Weber had a few years ago, which I do remember talking about. It was like a transmission problem or something wouldn't shift and they, they said oh maybe it's just you know who knows um they mentioned rosberg last year the pre-race stall issue he had this year and then Massa's random neutral and then signs appeared to have a similar problem and then hamilton which of course you know hamilton did have a loss of power and uh, and then retired um so he said oh, all odd ghost in the machine issues on the face of it who knows maybe just some of the tv crews put together to fill some dead air but it did make me wonder so uh, thanks for the email, Paul. And uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things you never know when you've got as complicated a system as a modern Formula One car is, and normally things are working, and then something is not working. Is that because you know they? You know, I, I work in the field of, of GPS and automotive electronics and how that works. And it's like, well, why isn't it working today? It's like, well, there's those power lines over there. Like, normally power lines aren't an issue, but could it be that you know maybe <laughs> is it that? Um, I mean, is it is it this other thing? Is it cosmic rays? You know, who knows? Well, here's the thing: electronics are a complicated thing, but they are, they're fundamentally very simple and electromagnetic fields and electromagnetic pulse and all these various things absolutely have influence on circuits. It's all, you know, voltage and current and resistance when it comes down to it. Right. And absolutely. If you have something that is that heavily electrified coming from underneath you and, uh, you know, the conductivity of, uh, rock and that kind of stuff isn't zero, I, I think I'm correct in saying, uh, yeah, these things absolutely could have an effect. But why would it have an effect on Mercedes more than the other teams? Maybe because they 
run wiring in different places that's a little bit closer to the exterior of the car. I, I just don't know. Right. I mean, to really understand, you'd have to try to change one thing at a time and say, okay, what if we take take this whole thing in isolation and just do this car and then put this magnetic current and do the thing? Like, it's just it's not practical to test it. So uh, in the real world, it's like, well, we had some issues. Maybe it was that, maybe not. Uh, you know, so we can't really say one way or the other to say, oh, no, that's that's absolutely rubbish. I mean, it's not rubbish uh, because it's a possibility. Whether that was the actual case or not, we'll probably never know because it's uh, just a so many factors, like we say. And that track as well has, you know, uh, several underpasses. You know, it, it's going under uh, other bridges. Um, and, of course, there's the overhead lights that are all around. There's lots of current being put through those lights and all kinds of stuff. So there's several other variables. So it's not just maybe the metro system. But, um, yeah, it was interesting to see, uh, you know, Mercedes on the back foot, and then specifically Hamilton with the retirement uh, for the you know ending a ridiculous reliability streak that he had had going, and you know point scoring streak and everything else, um, and how long it had been since Mercedes had been on the podium. You know there were all these statistics that kind of came to an end with the Singapore Grand Prix. Well, and it's ultimately arbitrary and meaningless, but a big important milestone was about to happen where Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes were both going to match major milestones. Uh, Lewis Hamilton matching Ayrton Senna for a number of consecutive poles in a row. Lewis was at seven. He was about to tie at eight if he managed at Singapore. And uh, Mercedes-Benz, and I believe it was front row starts for Mercedes-Benz, they were at 24. 25 would have tied them up with Williams in their 92-93 era. Both those things were cut off just like that right? in this one Grand Prix, which it's just... It's just one of those weird little anomalies. It's not some major epic, ah, there is a Formula One god, but there it is a kind of a, huh, right when it was about to happen, right when they it gets swept under the rug. Yeah. yeah, and it wasn't even that Ferrari made some huge step forward. It was just that, like, Mercedes just weren't doing well. And then, of course, by not winning, Lewis Hamilton, uh, as has been talked about much in the last few days, did not uh, match Ayrton Senna's win ratio or, you know, win count in exactly the same number of starts. This has been talked about so much. Which um, would would have been the ratio, yeah. Right. You were right. Which would have been exactly, you know, which, which would have matched the ratio as well. But there's a couple things you and I have been talking about, about yes. that that are a little bit silly um, in that, uh, first of all, Sebastian Vettel sort of quietly, you know, his he, of course, had the dominance at Red Bull, but then the last few wins he's gotten for Ferrari this season um, is, of course, ahead of the, uh, you know, Ayrton Senna's win uh, count. Um, and there was all this talk about, you know, when Hamilton was potentially going to tie it um, and then, you know, or even, you know, getting getting close to it. And Vettel quietly passed it and was like, oh, right. But yeah. Vettel's doing this thing. Vettel's currently alone as third on the all-time in the all-time win list. Right. He surpassed Ayrton at, at Singapore. And with fewer starts. So it's even exactly. – so which, you know, makes even more of a difference, I think. You know, looking at the absolute number, kind of like looking at the number of points someone has scored without taking into effect how many points were given for a win and for second place and so on, uh, where it's it's almost an arbitrary number because of how different things can be. So – Well, and also like we talked about just who got their start where. You know, uh, Sebastian's Vettel, Sebastian Vettel's very first start was in a BMW Sauber where he scored eight and uh, – he was with Toro Rosso. Was that one year? I think it was just one year. Yeah, I think so. And he even got a win there. And then it was with Red Bull that quickly became dominant. Lewis Hamilton started right off in the McLaren, which was a front-running team at the time. He was almost and, rookie world champion. And he, Yeah. And he won. I think it was his fifth race in because he won in Spain or Canada. He won in Canada um, in 2007. So all these things going on. Ayrton Senna, he was with... I think it was Lotus when he first started. It was the late 80s. That shows how much I know my history. But it was a couple seasons before he got in a winning car, the McLaren. So uh, these win ratios, even that gets a little bit diluted in, well, how competitive of a car were these guys in and win? Right. And then, of course, Michael Schumacher at the very top of the list um, has had a very long career. Um, so the other part of it was like, okay, Ayrton Senna had a really good ratio in terms of wins and starts. Uh, but looking back on the list, you know, Jackie Stewart and Jim Clark both had higher, uh, you know, win to start ratios um, with, you know, over over a third of the races they entered, they won right. um, in, that, in those cases. And um, I believe it was Jim Clark with the highest. He had 25 wins in 72 race starts, right. which was a ratio of over, no, almost 35%. Right. Uh, but, uh, of course, Ayrton Senna, you know, taken from the world, arguably, uh, well, definitely too soon, but with arguably many more seasons of competitive racing and, and winning and all that. So it's like, could he have moved forward uh, higher on? And, and if he, especially if he continued to be dominant, then, of course, that ratio of wins and starts could have kept getting better. So it's 
of course, it's 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 all you know comparing various different things that uh, don't necessarily line up. But um, it's it's interesting how much has been talked about Lewis Hamilton uh, when Vettel is ahead on both metrics and uh, how much yeah. uh, you know how, how different that is. And then also, um, you know, a lot of people forget Alan Prost is in second place. You know, uh, fifty one, well well ahead of Vettel as well. Yeah. And it's sort of just quietly like, yeah, well, you know, everyone knows Schumacher. He dominates the records and the statistics of so many ways. Obviously, seven time champion and all that, but. Um, Alain Prost is also just sort of hanging out there. You know. Yeah, but is Schumacher really such a big deal? I mean, he was really old when he got all his records. I mean, Vettel's doing it at a younger time. You know, you're talking about records and all these kind of things. It really reminds me of Pastor Maldonado and uh, the record he's going for, which brings me to Jamie Bell and his remark. He said, hi, guys. As a long-term fan of your podcast, thank you for that, I thought I'd mention this. My wife, Charlotte often amusingly refers to Pastor Maldonado as Plastor Maldonado, as in medical plaster, because he crashes into things too much. I just thought it amusing. I haven't heard it elsewhere and thought might be some light humor, humor spelled with an O-U, by the way, material for your podcast, if you started calling him that. Thanks, and keep up the good work, your fan, Jamie. Well, Jamie, thank you, first of all, very much for the email. Second of all, for the uh, for the compliments. And... Third, Plastor, I think that's going to be more of a gym thing than me, but, <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, it's not it's not a bad one. Right. Of all the nicknames, I mean, you know, Crash Tour, that's kind of a little bit on the nose. I yeah, guess. that's uh, that's pushing it. Uh, you know, but yeah, Pasta Marinara, there's there's all kinds of ways you can go with uh, with Pastor Maldonado. But uh, thank you for sending the note. And also, Jamie sent it earlier, uh, a little uh, correction Plaster notice. Plaster Maldonado Ahem. Okay. That's that's a winner right there. Pasta fagioli mayonnaise crashes a lot. <laughs> no? What else you got? They'll ring off. They don't roll off the tongue Swing like you hoped. Yeah. No, not quite. Plastor it is. Okay. So anything else from uh, Singapore? Oh, the dude on the track. That was weird. Um, so I guess you didn't have a chance to watch the entire race through because with all the, the, the travel and whatnot, I actually was watching it on the uh, NBC Sports Live Extra app because I, w- I was traveling for work over the last weekend, uh, but did have my phone with me and occasional uh, access to the internet. So um, that was actually pretty cool because there's uh, multiple camera angles and stuff you can do in the app, which I don't normally play with because normally you and I we watch it together. Right, In sure. my living room, we've got TiVo, and uh, that way we can uh, zip through the commercials. And that's the one thing about the app uh, that, you know, watching it there, you can't uh, nearly as easily anyway uh, fast forward through commercials. So, um, but I, I used that for the first time in quite a while and found that there's, you can do onboard angles, you can do a pit lane, uh, just see, you know, footage from the pit lane and a driver tracker, you know, the, the little map with all the icons on it for going around. So really, I think if you're going to do the app, what you really need to have is like five iPads all lined up. Um, so you can have Ooh, one you can have each thing. Five pads. Yes. Ah? Uh, so that way you can you have... You can plaster five pads. <laughs> that's not, no, you're... Maldonese. You keep using that word. It does not mean what you think it means. Um, so that way you could have your inboard, your Padinado. Okay, <laughs> your onboards, your your pit lane views, and all that stuff. Uh, but one thing I did see while I was watching the race through the app stuff um, was uh, this dude that got on track in Singapore, and it was kind of the weirdest thing because we've seen a few uh, people getting on track before, uh, you know, a few incidents. Uh, famously, at Silverstone, there was some dude with like a poster. It was proclaiming. I don't know if it was a religious thing or what it was. Some some you know was protesting something and trying to you know make a point about whatever it was, and he had some crazy outfit on. Um, and we've seen some other people that really seem to kind of like, oh, yeah, I've broken through the thing, and I'm going to make a run for it, and I'm going to you know, prove some point or just whatever. Um, but this guy was just walking down the track very kind of unaware, like looking at his phone, uh, not even like, oh, my God, I'm at this F1 race, and I just broke through the track, and oh, my God, this is crazy. Just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm just kind of walking here. And, uh, you know, he's like, I think literally looking at his phone um, as he's just kind of walking Slowly and kind of looking down. Excuse me, excuse me. Where is the uh, food cart? Like not even looking at the cars. Like the cars were just kind of going by, and the, the, they had yellow flags. You know, the marshals were quick on this. As soon as they saw this, of course, they had yellow flags going, and the cars were going slow. Then there was a safety car, partly to get this guy. You know, and then he kind of hopped back over the fence. He was only on the track maybe a hundred yards. Was or something. he aware? Like I, I, I'm almost envisioning envisioning like a Will Ferrell style comedy skit coming, where he's like, "I'm an American, and I pay taxes." It's like, yeah, but you're in Singapore. And this is a Formula One race going on. Yeah. It's like, I pay taxes. There was no comedy to it. I mean, he uh, he must have been aware because how could you not be, right? I mean, he, he got through some, you know, some... What, was he just... Was there some kind of like, God, traffic is crazy today. 
this is ridiculous. And what is this construction going on? And why are know. they doing it at night? I mean, it, you know, he was just a dude walking and he hopped over, you know, he went through some hole in the fence. And then I guess maybe when, maybe he didn't think it would work. And once he got there, he didn't really know what to do. So rather than like look at the cars or wave at people or gesture at the camera. <laughs> <Was he>, <laughs> did he get over it and realize he was like, ooh, act natural? Maybe. <laughs> If I just walk slowly, they can't see me. I'm just looking at my phone. Do, do, do. Yeah, that's so, the that's the that's the music I tune. Uh, I just kind of hum along when I'm looking at my phone. Yeah, that's yeah. They don't sound like that anymore. It's it's more of a now. Well, but no, because when I would I would have done it 2013 or earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Glad we because I. Maldonese, my okay. So they, uh, so they, there was a safety car mostly to figure out like how did this guy get on the track and are more people you know because the last thing they want to do is say okay the one guy's gone restart the race and then like four more people show up on track or who knows what right. So um, that was a whole kind of a weird long safety car period um, which which reset the thing and Vettel wasn't happy about that at all because it's a it's very stupid for someone to walk on track which is true and uh, you know after all the safety measures you know we're looking at. Um, with all the cars and wheel tethers and closed cockpits and all kinds of different things, you know, just a, a person with zero safety gear at all on maybe like having flip-flops or whatever on, um, just like walking on track with cars, you know, supposedly you know, whizzing by if it weren't for the yellow flag is really pretty dumb and unsafe. So anyway, it was Did a... Did Vettel blame the tires? Um, not by name, but I think he kind of implied... Yeah, okay, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Um, so anyway, it was... And wait, Rosberg blamed Lewis. Right. Well, I think Lewis. Uh, no, he had not retired at that point. That was earlier in the race. So um, I don't know. I, uh, I I didn't see what uh, what Rosberg had to say about it. But it was a weird thing. And they said, okay, now we're gonna you know we're gonna you know recheck security and make sure that things are all you know under control and whatever. Which you know of the races we've been to, and you know a lot of our fans I'm sure have been to Grand Prix as well. It's usually really pretty tight security. You know, right? I mean, I guess a place like Spa, you think is so laid out. You know, it's. Uh, so much area. There's inside and outside of the track. There's high high ground and low ground. There's got to be some places some people could sneak through a thing, but you you don't see problems like this. And certainly right. at a place like Circuit of the Americas, where it's this whole purpose built track and everything is is fenced. Purpose built and, and completely modern and very new. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's it's all you know very well controlled. And Singapore being a you know a street circuit, of course, it's something that they they temporarily put up, but. Um, that's another modern design in terms of where the fences are and what's all going on. So uh, it's you know just really bizarre that this was uh, that this this guy was able to make it through and then didn't seem to have a, a point to, to doing so. It wasn't trying you know I don't know what he was trying to do, but either way he got arrested and I think fined heavily and it was you know that's you know that guy's probably not going to do it again. But um, it's just it's really weird and uh, we'll see uh, if this is something that uh, comes up to be to be an issue again in the future. But it is really annoying when something completely external to the race um, affects it like this. Um, in terms of the, you know, the safety car and, you know, just kind of bunching up the field again and, uh, and just kind of slowing down the action. I guess that did mean that people didn't have to do uh, fuel saving, uh, because this is of course the longest Grand Prix, uh, typically in a year. And it was right up at the two hour mark, but did complete all of its laps. But, oh, they uh, did get to 61. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, uh, so, it, you know, that meant, I guess the, uh, you know, people could push pretty well, but. Well, anyway. what did you think, like, getting back to the racing action for a second, and then we'll move on to Japan. What did you think about the Hulkenberg Massa clash that happened as Massa was coming out of the pits? He was staying to the left, which was the inside, and Hulkenberg was running his racing line, and the two just met in the middle. Well, at first, my impression was Massa being the guy that's coming out of the pits, it's up to him to blend into traffic. So at first I was like, oh, that's kind of weak that they, you know. Which was Will Buxton's point. Right. That it was, uh, you know, that they had, I think, pretty closely, um, pretty soon after that, they, you know, announced that they were going to penalize Hulkenberg for the next race. Um, But looking back at it, and Hulkenberg did the same, um, he said, okay, I looked at the footage. I really didn't give you anywhere to go. Um, So, you know, yeah, he, you know, Hulkenberg sort of owned up to the penalty and said, okay, yeah, fair play. And did, you know, send Massa an apology and sort of said, okay, yeah, that, that was, that was my fault. Should have done that, uh, and you know, either way, I get the penalty, and life goes on. So, so that ended up being pretty straightforward, yeah. okay? Because I was thinking, like, God, that really seems a little bit more of a Hulkenberg thing, but just in the span of the race coverage, it seemed like there was debate about that, and I was just curious. But it sounds like that kind of uh, mellowed out, and everyone just got reasonable and rational about it. Yeah, I think so. So, not uh, not too much drama for that particular um, run in. And then, and it's interesting because uh, despite that, and of course, I've now I'm looking and in, including Japanese finishing results as well. You know, Force India is solidly fifth in the constructors' championship and still performing well. 
usually it's the later uh, races in the season where Force India struggles a little bit because they don't quite have the budget to maintain development pace. But this time, they're still solid. They're still scoring points. Both Perez and Hulkenberg are, are doing well. And, you know, I don't know if we've been able to announce this yet, but Hulkenberg uh, signed a two-year extension to his contract with Force India. And Perez was just re-upped as well. And Perez, yeah. Sweet. Didn't know that. Yeah. So Announced, yeah, just you know, a couple days ago. One year or two. Um, Probably think. one for him, I would think. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, that that is showing more stability in the team. Force India is a team that I really want to see do well. They, of course, have their um, their origination um, comes from Jordan, and they've gone through many, many iterations to become what they are, but they really are a solid player, and I'd love to see them move up one one rung further. And it's nice to see them can do, doing well this late in the season. Yeah, and it's, you know, at what point um, do we consider Hulkenberg and Checo Perez as, as top drivers? You know, they're... They're both kind of right on the cusp of it. And, you know, Hulkenberg's been talked about as a top driver, you know, should have gone to Ferrari or could have gone to wherever, you know, like if he seems like the kind of guy that you could put into one of the top cars and could really, you know, know, hold on to his own there, if not really, you know, excel and do really well. Um, But I think even Checo Perez, you can say some of the same things about as well. He's been, um, he was in the McLaren and that that season obviously was tumultuous, um, but we've seen some really good runs out of, out of Checo and uh, he's done well. So it's, it's like a, it's like everybody's maybe, you know, it's the best of the rest, maybe the team and the drivers, they're all like right on the cusp of being a really top team and being top drivers. Uh, but they're, they're, you know, it's like they're really not champ, you know, uh, fighting for wins um, or of course a championship, but just, you know, holding on really well to what they're doing and uh, sort of they're ready to pounce if uh, something else weird happens. So, um, you know, it's, again, I, I hope to see them do well. I mean, I'm in terms of, uh, you know, little guys to root for, Especially with Alexander Rossi in the car, I have to say I'm a big Manor fan these days. Um, just to yeah. you know, see those guys go, and especially uh, with, you know see our, our boy Alexander Rossi do well, which we'll talk about him a little bit more in a bit. But uh, but yeah, I mean it, Force India seems like um, it, it's it's funny the Indian connection seems less now. Obviously that's the name of the team, but um, we're sort of it's it's almost a, a Mexican team with uh, with Checo in the team and the money behind it and uh, the big sponsorship from uh, Carlos Slim Dummett and all yeah, that. Yeah, and Hogenberg is way Mexican. Well, yeah. <laughs> But you know they they launched the car in Mexico and the, you know the Mexican Grand Prix is a big thing and all. it's like it, you know they have they have this big Mexican time. Totally so. legitimate. It's just funny to me. You know, yeah. it's, it's ultimately you know Hulkenberg is very German and the team is in Silverstone, England, but they have a stronger connection to Mexico than any other team, certainly. Right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, good times um, for them. And you know, I, I, just to reiterate, we are very excited about the Mexican Grand Prix and taste of the race thereof. That's uh, yes, a favorite for which us. we do most Grand Prix these days. <laughs> which yeah, we, we Mexico is well represented in terms of our uh, our taste of the race repertoire. But that does not mean that we will fall short. We will not phone that one in. We will go whole whole tortilla, as they say. Ooh. Yes, <laughs> as they say, whole enchilada. <laughs> oh, Ooh. oh, the entire enchilada. I. I think that, in general, it was nice to see uh, Vettel do well for Ferrari and uh, get another win. It was nice to see Red Bull on the podium. But it was fascinating to see how much that was just this random little anomaly, quick blip, and it was right back to business as usual in Japan. Not any kind of hysteresis or any kind of... Anything left over. It was... Oh, they're still working to try to figure out that tire thing. Right, right. No, it's like no, Mercedes is up at the top. They have one thing. They're right back up at the top, just as before. Singapore never happened. Right. And, of course, we had um, Rosberg's failure in Italy and then Hamilton's failure in Singapore. Uh, and no reliability problems at all for, for Mercedes in, uh, you know, here in Japan. So, uh, I say here, you know, um, <laughs> this week in Japan. So, yeah, even the reliability stuff seems like just... Maybe that was the electronics in the metro system underneath the track. And who the heck knows at this point? Um, Alexander Rossi in the Manor Marussia um, has uh, out-qual- or, uh, not out-qualified, but outperformed Will Stevens in now both the races he's been a part of. So that's really exciting. Uh, Quite. We, we haven't talked about him a whole lot uh, because we've, it's just been a couple races. But uh, Alexander Rossi and I are both graduates of the Skip Barber racing system. Mm-hmm. He did a little bit better than I did. Um, seeing how he continued to move forward after Skip Barber racing. I mean, I moved in a direction after Skip Barber, so we both did that. Uh, But I'm very, very happy to see him. He he stuck to it. He's done very well. He's been very consistent. So to see him get a few race runs is really fantastic. 
So were you contemporaries with him in the Skip Barber series? No, 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 no. I'm much too old for that. He, He's now, after Japan, he turned 24 very recently. And uh, he was probably enjoying a popsicle while I was racing uh, in Skip Barber. But he was, I think, 2007, maybe even 2008 when, uh, when he raced. And I was all done in 2004. So... But it's just nice to see that progression happen because the last person that I can think of that started in Skip Barber went right to Formula One is Juan Pablo Montoya hmm. most recently. Um, well, no. Oh, I'm being completely ridiculous. Sergio Perez. Chico Perez. Yeah. Um, so there have been a few, but to see an American do it. And he's, I would say, he's representing American America quite well so far. And uh, gee, he's proof. There's at least one of us that isn't overweight and lazy and fat, guys. Um, and uh, I, I think he's been representing the country well. Now, the question I have, now that he's got two races under his belt, he's done well in both of them, like you said. Is this leading up towards a possible seat at Haas F1? Possibly. Um, I think it's not super likely. Um, I think Well, Manor is a Ferrari team. Right. And Haas F1 is also a Ferrari team. Haas said they wanted guys with experience. Like Romain Grosjean. Like Romain Grosjean. Who's not yet confirmed, but pretty likely pretty much. teaming now. And Esteban Gutierrez. Well, Rossi, <laughs> Rossi officially has experience now. Right. Um, so does Gutierrez, and that's, that's true. who's been talked about more. So um, Rossi will be racing in Russia and the U.S., thankfully. It's cool that it works out for him to drive in the U.S. Um, and then Mexico... And then has to go back to GP2 for Brazil and Abu Dhabi. So he will not finish out the season, but he gets a string of five races in a row. Um, you know, and he's done two of those so far. Oh, it's good. that I, I actually, I will take that. I think it's better that they're in a row as opposed to scattered hit and miss. Right. To do, you know, one in the beginning of the season and three months later or even yeah. a couple weeks off. So anyway, so yeah, he's got his, this little string of five races. And then it's back uh, for Manor uh, running Roberto Mary uh, for Brazil and Abu Dhabi. So and Mary in Brazil makes perfect sense, right? So, so. I think it's um, I think it's more likely that we'll see Rossi back at Manor next year. Um, you know, right now, of course, they're they're like you say running Ferrari power. Um, there is there have been talks about Mercedes supplying Manor, so that could be a you know I mean the Ferrari engine doesn't seem like any slouch either. Look at you know Vettel's performance and so on, um, but. Uh, yeah, if they, you know, that could be a step forward for Manor. Having some results, having a driver that there's a lot of support behind uh, in the form of Rossi um, seems like uh, that could be a positive for the team as well. Maybe help them get sponsors and stuff. They've got, you know, Airbnb, which is an American company, is one of their title sponsors. And then Flexbox being no a, a shipping company. Um, yeah, they changed the color of the car, the Airbnb color. Is that kind of the pinkish red and all that? So anyway, that's, um, you know, it's, that's, it's funny that Haas is the, you know, the U.S. team, and that's a big deal. But kind of on the sidelines, it's like, well, this other team that's actually got an American title sponsor, an American driver, and, you know, is now, you know, sort of from the ashes of Marussia, um, is sort of, you know, turning into uh, turning into a thing. You so, could say they'd have very good manners. <laughs> Maldonado-isms. That's, that's getting worse instead of better. That doesn't even make sense here. <laughs> I, I think... I think because it's getting worse, it's getting better. Yeah, you would think that. I do, I, and I continue to. Um, I want, I want Rossi to stay on the grid. I think that the Scott Speed era of Formula One was a little bit weird and diluted by the fact that Red Bull specifically said we're putting an American F one, and they kind of forced it to happen uh, in the end, and. I think Scott Speed, considering everything, performed admirably, but it wasn't. It wasn't a oh, this guy paid his dues and went through the way. You know, Rossi was going more the Patrick Long route, where he really he went to Skip Barber and then he went to the he went to the European side of things and just continued to uh, push along. He's a GP two winner. He's we did what Formula BMW, yep. uh, Americas, World, Europe, uh, GP2 Asia, GP3, Formula Renault, um, and then you know, and then this is 2012. He was a test driver in his Caterham uh, Formula One. Then GP2 was in the 20, 2013 24 Hours of Le Mans and LMP2, um, and you know, it's finished tenth apparently. Um, and uh, yeah, and then you know, still in GP2 now, and uh, is right now second in the championship. You know, so if, that'd be amazing if he could you know finish up. 
uh, this season strong. I don't know what the points are in GP2 if he has a chance of winning, uh, but uh, to be able to, yeah, finish strong, I mean, even, you know, first or second in the championship and GP2, um, and then, you know, go into a full-time drive next year in Formula 1 would be basically ideal. Uh, you know, I guess ideal would be into a top team, uh, but it seems like even, even at this point, he's um, done all that can be asked of someone at the low end of the grid, uh, which is beating your teammate. Uh, of course, he had a crash in practice, and that caused him some trouble for the team, but uh, was able to uh, able to come back from that. He was out-qualified by Will Stevens in Japan, but then in the race, Will Stevens had a big error in 130R that, uh, uh, you know, Rossi was able to capitalize on and get past him. So Well, and Rossi was claiming that he had better pace right. as well. And I think the you know, numbers... Which is fine. Up. Yeah. So, anyway, it's... Uh, yeah, it, it's good. We've got we've got a guy, um, and it's you know he's got like you say come through the channels and uh, and you know put in his time and seems like uh, could be the real deal and represents the country well and uh, I think that's that's exciting and it's also be, he's not tied to one company like Scott Speed was with Red Bull um, where of course you know Vettel was so good he was able to transcend that and obviously switch teams and, and do what he's done but um, you know some of these other guys uh, that come up through you know, STR um, or you know don't even don't have to make it to the full Red Bull team um, where sometimes they have their few years of a career and even if they're decent they may not be good enough to really get the sponsorship and the backing on their own and, and you know really break out of str or something so i'm thinking of so of, what you're saying is that rossi does not have as good of a chance to one day become a world-renowned dj <laughs> i'm a oh boy so yeah no i and that's exactly you and i are, are complete agreement here that he's gone through the slow and arduous process and he did it in an era, in a way where being an American, at least we feel, perhaps biasedly, is that a word? Uh, that it was a disadvantage to be an American, not an advantage. That that is a uh, that is a that conjures up thoughts of just not being quite up to it in people's minds. I think, and I hope that uh, by by this point, Rossi has proved most everyone wrong. Of course, we're biased. Well, I don't know how much of it is, you know, being an American and, and biased, but there's just, there's a lot of talent out there in the world right now, and there's a lot of um, turmoil in terms of budgets, and it, it, it takes so much more than talent. You know, it, it takes talent and also all these sort of marketing skills and finding money and having the right support and money and money, and then also there's money. Uh, it's really what it seems like in, you know, this era of Formula One right now with uh, the way the teams are and the FOM and the fees and the tracks and the whole thing. So, you know, it's 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 not just oh yeah, there's a lot of drivers that are really good because there are a lot of drivers that are really good. Um, but you know, fewer teams than there have been in the past, and of course, with this whole maybe Red Bull will quit thing, there could be even fewer teams, and that would be a whole thing. But well, um, actually, that's what's ironic. If Red Bull does indeed pull out, all that mean all that would ultimately mean is that we had 20 teams, and we will still have 20 teams. I'm sorry, 20 drivers, right? Because Haas, at the moment, Haas will mean 21 and 22, right? Um, although I don't know if Red Bull also means, oh, we're going to stop our backing of STR. Maybe those those guys would, would come out as well. I mean, there's, that's been debated as to, you know, can they sustain themselves without Red Bull backing and how would that all work? So either way, I hope that that's just posturing in the media. And for now, it seems to me anyway, like it is, uh, that that's, you know, it, it's maybe it's a real threat and that, yeah, it's a threat and it's something that's being talked about, but it's probably more to do with negotiations and who's going to get engine deals. And, you know, it's working on Ferrari and Mercedes and, you know, to some extent, Renault for engines. Uh, and, uh, you know, less about we're actually going to quit the sport and, and figure it out. So for now, you know, those things that make it out to uh, to the public usually do so for a reason. And I'm thinking that uh, the Red Bull threat is, for now anyway, uh, not very likely that, uh, that that's going to come to pass, that they will quit. Um, but we can talk about that more if that continues to be uh, something that's being talked about uh, in the next few races. Anyway, on to Japan. Uh, Mercedes was in front. Home track of Honda, so you know they're going to do well. Wow. Yeah, it is just... Uh... Boy, okay, so let's just get it out of the way. Uh, Rosberg was on pole, good for him, but it wasn't quite 100% wholly his own uh, because of the red flag right before the end of qualifying. Right. But Lewis was aggressive right at the launch. He had a slightly better start, got around at the front, never looked back. He went on, he ran the race, he won it comfortably. Rosberg ended up down in fourth, maybe even fifth at one point, but I know fourth. He got his way back up to the second, so it was Mercedes 1-2, Ferrari 3-4, Vettel on the podium, Raikkonen right behind, eating some ice cream and drinking a Coke, Botas behind that, and on and on. But none of that really matters. Honda. Yeah, a another disappointing race weekend for McLaren Honda. Um, Perhaps the most possibly 
Did, I mean, that was bad. Right. So Jensen Button, uh, of course, has had a, uh, a long and good history with Japan and, uh, you know, likes the country a lot. He's done well here. He says he's never been outside the top 10. And he's, he's been in a mix of really good and sometimes really not so good cars. But his wife's half Japanese. Yes, always done well here and uh, has a lot of fans here and has, you know, a long time connection with Honda and so on. Um, but... Uh, you know, so he, uh, Button, uh, was a lot more diplomatic about the the problems, uh, and you know, was in the was, sense that he was at all. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, they said they had a communication error in in qualifying that you know prevented them from going on. They said, oh yeah, I, I went to this setting and it's supposed to be that setting, and it was, something was weird, and you know, that that's sort of just that's not Honda's fault. That's just between you know the driver and the team and the mechanics setting up the car and whatever with the electronics. Um, but the big thing, and so you know that that prevented uh, Button from potentially qualifying better. Uh, but the big thing in the race, of course, was uh, Alonso's comment on the radio about it feels like he had a GP2 engine, um, and that was um, rebroadcast out to uh, the world feed, uh, which then, you know, of course, in, in you know, Honda's backyard there, at their, you know, they own the track. It's a Honda test track and the whole thing. Um, for a driver to be uh, saying bad things about Honda is not so excellent. Um, Alonso later came back and sort of said, oh, well, it, you know, there's a little bit more context to that, and you know, he sort of didn't mean that to be a um, broadcast message. He was sort of like, oh, well, you know, I was just on the radio to my team. Like, I should be able to kind of shoot the crap with my team and not have to worry about that going out to the world. But it's like, well, that's not how it works. Um, right. Right. And, and it's you can't unsay it. It's been said. Right. So uh, that was, you know, he just says, you know, he felt embarrassed. I mean, both drivers said, said this, you know, they felt embarrassed by by racing. It was like they were in another category, like the, the, amount, the amount of speed that the other drivers were able to have relative to them. Um, there's all they could do is sort of stay out of the way. And, uh, you know, they sort of figure, yeah, I'm going to get past, you know, one side or the other. I just need to pick a side and, and deal with it. And that is that is very frustrating. Um, there were also a lot of rumors about, oh, Alonso could, could leave the team uh, before the end of the year even or before the end of his contract and all these kind of things. And yeah. he says, oh, no, I'm not going to leave early. But who knows how these things pan out, um, you know, with uh, with the way contracts are uh, in Formula One. Uh, but uh, the definitely the uh, the growing, uh, you know, thinking around Button has been that, okay, this is probably going to be the end of his career, uh, the end of this year. Uh, that was, of course, something we were talking about last year when it was, you know, is it going to be Magnuson? We know Alonso is going to be there next year. Um, is it going to be Magnuson or Button or how's that all going to shake out? And then it was almost a little bit surprising that it, that Button got the job for 2016 or 2015. Yeah. Um, and now that question is coming back to say, hey, what But is- it's coming back from a different context. Like more and more McLaren saying, no, 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 I think we want Button. And McButton's like... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, okay. So the, the script's been flipped. It's like, do you want to be a Formula One driver at all costs? You know, the cost being a Formula One driver in a really slow Formula One car, or as has been talked about, you know, go over to WEC and there's plenty of opportunities there. It's some cool fast cars and some cool circuits and all that. And, you know, a, a little bit more relaxed lifestyle. Um, he's also been talked about, oh, he could be on the, the revamped top gear and he could be a host there and that could be fun. And that would um, be different. You know, there's a, a couple of different ways it could go. So it's not just like, all I want in the world is to be a Formula One driver, and that's being denied for me. But now he's kind of like, okay, I'm still a Formula One driver, but uh, this car is not great. But now all these other things he could be doing, you're like, yeah, that, that could be a decent life. And that's a lot better than fighting, you know, super, super hard for 14th place or whatever in the Formula right. One grade. And if I'm doing my math correctly, this is his 16th season that he's in the middle of. He has kind of been doing Formula One. This isn't... This isn't something like, boy, I just need my chance. It's like, well, nope, you've had it. You've uh, won. Right. You're a world champion. And yeah, sometimes the, you know, sometimes things fall your way, like his time with Braun GP with the way the rules were and the diffusers and the whole thing. And it just really came together. And obviously, you know, made his way to a world championship that year. And sometimes things are not. And uh, right now, this is definitely a low point for uh, the car performance. And uh, it's not his fault or the team's fault. It's just kind of the way these things shake out sometimes. But um, yeah, so I think I, I would be more surprised to see Button, um, you know, sign up again for next year, you know, to kind of to continue the relationship. I think at this point, um, it's sort of, it makes sense that he would uh, leave at the end of this year and then, you know, uh, be announced to be a driver for, uh, you know, Audi or Porsche or Toyota or something, you know, one of the one of the top teams there. The um, only, the hardest thing I have with it is, you know, I'm a big Jensen Button fan, of course, and I just really want to see him leave on his own terms. And... He's not leaving because his performance fallen off, at least not that we can tell. He's leaving because the car's performance has fallen off so badly. And, God, that really seems just, I, he's a good guy. Not just a good driver and everything else. He's a good guy. He's got character. He's got personality. And he seems like a genuinely nice person. 
I don't want to see bad things happen in Ice People. Is that wrong? No. But, I mean, it is kind of his own terms because it's not, if he's not getting fired or he's not, you know, just like, oh, well, you know, we've got all these new young drivers and we're taking them instead of you. Like, we're just not re-upping. It's, you know, it is his own terms. It's too bad that that's why he wants to leave is because the car is really slow. But um, that is at least his own terms. It's not leaving on a high note. How does that work exactly? Because I feel like McLaren has the option to extend the contract. So would he be then breaking the contract and would that... Would there be terms there that you'd have to work? I mean, I'm sure there's ways to negotiate out of those things, but I'm just... I don't think It's so. actually well, fascinating McLaren little tidbit. McLaren is in, a, in the... You know, like you said, there's a lot of talent out there. You know, they've got uh, Kevin Magnuson um, on, you know, on, on their payroll as uh, sort of ready to go in Formula 1 and was in Formula 1 already. They've got Stoffel Van Dorn. He's the uh, Lego Tectica driver. <laughs> and uh, Stoffel Van Dorn also, uh, you know, ready to go in the wings there. So if... if you I can, thought Stoffel was a factory Mercedes guy. No, I'm thinking of somebody else. I'm Verlein. Ver- Verlein. That's Verlein. Verlein. Okay. Um, right. So... If, even if both uh, Alonzo and Button were to leave the team, uh, they've got two very solid candidates to uh, to move up into race drives. And uh, so that could definitely be, you know, McLaren isn't like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? They're sort of thinking, like, oh, we've got plenty of options here. And, you know, they're not uh, as high a caliber a driver, but it's fine for a, for a you know, younger guy, you know, newer in his career to be able to put in some time and, uh, you know, at least still show what he can do in terms of racing and racing the teammate and on and on and on. Um, you know, the, you know, McLaren has plenty of talent to, uh, to fill the seats there. So they're not, I, I don't think they would have a problem with a, uh, especially if it's a, you know, a reasonable terms to, to part ways with, um, with Jensen Button, uh, you know, Alonzo, I think is, you know, being new with the team, um, is, uh, you know, that would be a bigger thing if he, if he were to leave and, you know, but he's making, Alonzo's making so much money. I mean, he's, you know, able to say, uh, say what he wants here and maybe he would get in trouble at some level, but, um, you know, he's a very well-regarded driver and, uh, he's making all kinds of money there right now. So, um, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's saying anyway, that he's not going to break the contract. He's not going to, he's not going to leave, but he's also making it very clear that he's not happy with the power unit as it is right now in the car. I, I mean, at this point, how can you be? I've been defending Honda all year, but, Clearly, it's not like Honda's satisfied and they're like, what, what's the problem? It's that uh, despite all the efforts they're trying, they're just not right. They're just not there. And I, as I've said before, I'm also quite suspicious that maybe McLaren is not uh, just bending just a little bit to give a little bit more cooling to the Honda. I'm very curious. I would love to be a fly on the wall for those discussions, but... It's it's clearly not going well. It's nothing like it was in the late '80s, early '90s, and does it have the potential to be that eventually? Maybe, but boy, it's 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 hard to see from here. Yeah, and Alonso did sort of finish up his his interview about this stuff with uh, looking to next year, and they're saying, yeah, well, we you know we we know what the issues are, and we're working on it, and uh, you know, really hoping that this partnership can really take some massive steps forward, um, and you know, start to have really good results. And there's no reason to think that. Uh, you know, Honda is not able to make a really good engine. It really seems like, you know, they, they should be able to, and McLaren should be able to make a really good car. And it's just, yeah, it's still teething and growing pains and limited testing and all that. So maybe they start the 2016 season uh, as more of mid-pack and then sort of move up from there. You know, that's all possible. Um, it's much more likely than somebody like, you know, Manor or Marussia finding all kinds of speed out of nowhere. You know, there's certain sort of um, organizational things and budget and sponsors and tie-ins and all that. Uh, but there's, it's like Alonzo's got plenty of driver talent, as we know, and, you know, there's lots of resources being thrown at the car, and it's just sort of seems like a, a you know, limited amount of testing and limited amount of, you know, what they're trying hasn't been working and all that. But um, if if that's true that, you know, over this ne- this coming winter and the testing and dyno runs and, the, you know, maybe they have some serious meetings about cooling and about, you know, priorities and all these kind of things and really get to the bottom of it, it is still possible, um, if not likely, but possible that the um, McLaren-Honda partnership can really start to come good. So, um, I'm, I think you and I are both hopeful that that happens. I mean, it's not fun for anybody to see the McLaren Hondas at the back of the field. Um, I'm definitely, definitely also, hopeful. Yeah. yeah. Also, it's possible um, that another team will use Honda Power. That'll give them some more data, a lot more mileage, um, you know, more stuff in testing. You know, that could be positive for the whole thing as well. Right. I don't know if anyone's right now really lining up to sign up for a Honda engine uh, for next year, but um, maybe if they can, you know, show them some dyno numbers um, behind closed doors and say, actually, guys, you know, our next year's engine's looking really good and maybe fix this thing and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, who knows? Because uh, remember at the time, uh, Lewis Hamilton jumping ship from McLaren to go to Mercedes was like, really, dude? McLaren's really good. Right, Mercedes right, is not so good. And right. then we all know how that's gone. So 
you know, there's definitely things that, you know, other people, uh, you know, that are really working on these things and know kind of what's happening, what's changing from one year to the next. Uh, there's there's plenty that's still uh, changing it up in the air. And in 2017 is an even bigger shakeup potentially. So, you know, it's it's easy to look at this for, the, you know, this one season has really been disappointing. But it's really possible that things could uh, could start to go well for that, that, that team. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's nice to see that uh, I like seeing Williams up close. I would... Uh, I'm sorry, up towards the front. I would like them to be able to push even farther. I hope that things continue to go their way. I feel like they've plateaued just a little bit, and they're there for podiums, but they're not quite there for wins, like Red Bull was last year and Ferrari is this year. And I'd really like to see Williams keep moving forward. And uh, it's not going to hurt Williams that McLaren is struggling so much. So, yeah, uh, that's it's always there. And I think that we should predict things. Yes. So Singapore, of course, was a good shakeup for predictions because uh, with uh, so many people, including you and me and Damien, the statistical model, thinking that Vettel, uh, <laughs> that Hamilton would be on pole and that Hamilton would win the race when that was a very, uh, that was a very costly prediction for lots of people. Did anyone get that right? Um, yes. So shout outs to Sean James, Hugh McDonald, Self Petro, Mashari Audi, and Ross Hill for correctly predicting Vettel Vettel for Singapore and getting zero points for that. Um, we had two people going Vettel Ricardo, which was only a one point. Uh, That's call. a fascinating one. That a one. few Hamilton Vettels, Rosberg Ricardo, blah blah blah. One one interesting thing to me is that it was zero points, one points, and then right to four points. No one had a two or three point prediction. Yeah, it's fascinating. To me. So Hamilton Hamilton was a twenty one point result, um, and so everyone who picked that, which is lots of people, tied for thirty fifth place. And there's like two pages of people that did so. Well, so. All but thirty-five people. <laughs> just about right. well, except uh, Will no, Carver. Was a, where where was uh, Jensen well, Button? A, all this. A couple of Rosberg Hamiltons, which was twenty-two oh, points. Oh my goodness! Um, a Rosberg Massa, which was twenty-three points <laughs> and twenty-nine. Will, you are the master, man. You just oh boy. So that was all. That's all for Singapore. So that was a big shakeup. Um, and then a few people, like big shout out to Louise Marks, for example, moved up fifty-five places uh, when, wow. with all those people going ham ham. You know, whoever goes Vettel Vettel. But after that point, I did check this. Nils Erlemo was still number one um, because uh, so many people, you know, predicted that same that same Hamilton Hamilton. That yeah, everybody gained a lot of points, but it was uh, you know relatively at the top. Only no, nobody was close enough, and then and overtook for the for number one spot. Check this out though. We've got a newcomer. Will Carver is not last. Uh, Will Carver four hundred thirty three points strong, but we've got Dennis Yee coming in late, four hundred ninety five points. But with Will Carver's performance, Dennis, you, you, there's, there's hope. <laughs> so, and Will Carver, I nothing but respect sticking with the button button thing. As the races uh, draw, you know, draw to a close, it's getting harder to see it come good. But man, I, I'm with you emotionally, 100. percent All right. So for Japan, 17 people correctly got Rosberg Hamilton as a prediction. So well done to those folks. Um, you and I uh, kept with our predictions for Ham Ham. Yes, we and, did. Uh, you know, the statistical model, Damien, uh, like a simple spreadsheet, um, actually thought that Vettel was going to be on pole again and that uh, Vettel would win again, netting him five points, but that put him in 116th spot. So a much tighter field because, you know, more predictable results. Right. Predictions are going to be what they are. Yes. This time, Will Carver, button, button, 28 points on the board. Um, uh, the second worst was Simon Jones with Rosberg Massa. Seems like a reasonable enough prediction, but that was 16 points in this case. Yeesh. Yeah, Massa had a tire puncture. Right after pit out, uh, what, lap one was on the straightaway, lap one, and just had to crawl uh, crawl to the pits while everyone else zoomed by and really just cost him right at the beginning. Yeah, and I think had some other damage on the car because even after that pit stop um, was not making up ground, was still stuck behind even the, the, the Manor Marushas and with like 20 seconds back, like way back, and then had another bad pit stop. So I think there were just some issues and it just really kind of fell apart for the for Massa today. But overall, now in the standings, Nils Erlemo, still number one with 32 points. Um, it is a 24-way tie for second place, so it is very, very tight in predictions right now. Um, so 32 points for number one, uh, 33 points uh, all the way. And then, so 34 points um, is, is good for 25th through 29th place, and then I have 35. So I'm in 30th place, um, having moved up one um, since, uh, since the last round. Uh, Damien is in 64th place with 52 points. So uh, Damien took a beating after the uh, Japanese Grand Prix. Yeah. You, sir, in 75th place uh, with 64 points. Rocking the three quarters, baby. Yeah. So 
Next race is Russia. Everyone's favorite, the Russian Grand Prix from the Sochi <laughs> right. Autodrome. Especially Jamie. It's, it's what, his favorite place to hang out and get a quick burger and beer. A quick beer. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the, the Formula One cars will be there and they'll run around. It'll be sweet. So what are you thinking? I'm not touching a thing. <laughs> I think Singapore was a blip. I think Hamilton will be on pole. I think Hamilton will win the race and he will just get going with another uh, run at consecutive poles to uh, go after Ayrton yet again. Sounds reasonable enough. Um, yeah, kind of lame, but I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, Damien thinks that Rosberg will be on pole again. Um, is, you know, it, being lame isn't so bad when you're lame with a friend. Or lame with, you know, 80 friends, as the case may be, with uh, lots <laughs> well, of folks predicting. you know, the more the merrier. Although, once, it, once it's a party, it's not really lame, right? I mean, like, that's a fun bandwagon to be on, I guess. I wouldn't mind being plastered, Maldonado, <laughs> with all no, that. No, that's, no. No? Nope. Not going to do it. Okay. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. Um, you can always find show notes for this and every week's episode in the podcast client of your choice. Uh, actually, with the iOS 9, the podcast app has some nice updates. Uh, so if you're listening on an iPhone, you can check that out. And, uh, you know, seeing the, the notes, there's we put links to stories and stuff in there. And uh, now that it was brought to my attention, I fixed some links in the uh, show notes as well. Yes. Thank you again, Jamie. Um, but uh, you can always go to funwithcars.com. And uh, if you actually go to funwithcars.com slash the episode number, in this case, 186, uh, that's also going to be a blog post. That's got all the links and everything. You can comment right on the shows right there. You can always email us to feedback at f one uh, funwithcars.com. There's a callback. Yeah, yeah, yep. yep. And, Don't uh, do the former. Do the do, latter. Do the fun with cars. Um, is f one show.com even a thing? It, it, it like, never has been. <laughs> I've never heard of it. What um, is it? Nope. Cannot find server. No, they, they they took the domain name from us and they've done nothing with it. They've squandered the opportunity. Tisk, uh, <clears throat> tisk, tisk. Also, of course, keep up on Twitter and or Facebook. Uh, on Facebook page is just facebook.com and slash fun FW cars. In that regard, a quick uh, thank you to Ziggy F1 uh, from bed. I was like, no, we can't watch the race live. We really want to, but just can't do it. So. Right. Uh, Russia is not really our time zone, but um, Mexico, U.S., and Brazil are all very close. So those ones will be doing a lot more that are uh, that are live. Well, you're right. Well, it is, isn't it? In fact, these days, Brazil is going to be a touch of a late start for us. Look at us being adults and stuff. Crazy. Yeah, craziness, huh? So, um, yes, thank you, as always, for taking part on Twitter and hashtag FWCars. Um, there's, uh, yeah, even, you know, just, uh, today, well, 12 hours ago now, cause it was sort of middle of the night for us in the U S um, the, uh, watching the Japanese race and, uh, we were not able to do that. Um, every once in a while we did for our hundredth episode spectacular, as you may recall, I do remember watch that the, one. uh, Japanese Grand Prix live as well as the thousand kilometers of Bathurst. Yes. And it's all well and good to start a race. In this case, it starts at like 1 AM. Um, so you watch it till one, till what, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, um, but then to do a podcast at sort of four o'clock in the morning takes a little bit more mental energy well, than you really think. Not going to be a great podcast. Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, it's 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 fun and all to do that. But uh, in the coming races, we should have uh, some more real time fun fun stuff. So thank you as always for listening. Please stay tuned on funwithcars.com. Till then, I am Jim Loud and I'm Robin Warner. We just want to say uh, one quick moment remembering uh, Jules Bianchi. This was uh, it was one year ago that the accident happened, and still, still we still feel it, and we still miss him.